I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the CollectingCast.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast over the Zoom. Uh, sorry about my slightly dingy background. Edward's got the lovely Collecting Cars logo. And we are here with the third party, Ian Litchfield of Litchfield Motors, uh, a friend of mine for 20 years or more. Um, someone who's well known to people that have loved anything from a Subaru to a Nissan GTR to Latterly. BMW M cars, uh, and more and more and more. He's a, I, I suppose he's one of the country's preeminent tuners um, and currently has a monopoly on R35 tuning in the UK, it would seem. Um, but as you can probably guess, um, there's a reason for getting this together now. We were going to do it a while ago, uh, but we wanted to do it face to face. However, yesterday, um, I caused a bit of a kerfuffle with a, a tweet that I put out um, about an interaction that Ian had had over his uh, newly developed Yaris GR, or is it GR Yaris, uh, suspension kit. So we thought we'd, um, we'd get him on to have a quick chat about that. This is not going to be entirely about that issue because there's lots to talk about with Ian um, that's positive and fun. And, and fundamentally, ours is not a serious industry. We just mess around with cars. So we're not going to get too lost in the um, what we think was the seriousness of yesterday's tweet because it, it wasn't really. I, I state now that nothing to do with cars is really serious. But it's all a bit of fun and a good bit of joshing. And I do think it's helpful to, to add some checks and balances sometimes within our world. And just and to, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a gatekeeper. I'm not a policeman. I don't see myself like that at all. I'm just like anyone else. However, um, I think it's sometimes interesting to look around and question the way we all treat each other and the practices that we're involved with. So, Mr. Litchfield, before we go into your fascinating backstory, um, yesterday... I asked you whether I could put that tweet up because um, we'd had a little conversation. Um, and for those that haven't seen the tweet, I said that someone had approached Ian um, and said, I've got, uh, I'm an influencer, I've got a Yaris GR. You can put your suspension on the car and I'll write about it, but I'll be wanting a sum of money, which was not unadjacent to £25,000 and, uh, and, some, and some percentage of the sales of the kit going forwards. Um, and you quite rightly said that's not very appealing to me because we do quite well without that. Um, but you said I could put the tweet up. Most people wouldn't have let me, but I think um, think you felt that these kind of approaches are they're fine. They're not, you know, ultimately they're just asking for something, and you have a right to say no. But it, it's endemic of the fact that the industry is a bit skewed at the moment. Would you agree? Yeah, I think across the line, um, they'd ask for help with a project which we're happy to help with. We, we, uh, we spoke to them because we want to know when they want to do it more than anything else, more of a timing issue. And then they proceeded to sort of explain how they would, uh, they'd want additional payment over and above any discount we might be able to provide on the kit for their car, uh, as well as future sales. And it, 
they spoke to one of my colleagues and I didn't sort of take it in properly at first until I sort of asked to listen to the, the recording. And I just got more and more annoyed by, <laughs> by the brazenness of it. I mean, it, it was, as I said to you before, it's like a, like a double glazing salesman trying to fleece an old lady. It was, it was bizarre how um, they were asking. So it just got me really cross really about the whole thing because we've dealt with so many other good people over the years that we've not really had this much. And I think, the, that world runs a risk of crossing lines that do people realise that they're being paid as much as they are for promoting what they do. If, if, if we'd gone to them and said, we'd like you to promote our product, then absolutely they can charge whatever they like. That's, that's not an issue. But they approached us and then sort of tried to shake us down for the, for the additional money. Um, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, everyone... Is, is out to earn a few quid. If, if you work in, in my space, your space, we're not doing it for free, okay? We're trying to make some money. Collecting cars, trying to make some money, ultimately. But I, I think you've got to just um, understand the risk and reward relationship there. I actually, I'm not going to name this, this person or you know, organisation, whatever they want to call themselves, because um, that's not the way it works. Um, but my view is, school of hard knocks, really. If you stick your head above the parapet and you, and you are that punchy, to engage with someone and say, well, let's get involved in a project. And then, and then, you know, a little way into it, say, well, actually we want this money and this going forwards and you get called out. I think you just take it on the chin, don't you? And put your hands up and go, yeah, might've got that bit wrong. And we've lived to fight another day. I just, I think it's nothing more than that. Um, fists have been silenced so far. So that'll be interesting to see whether we do hear anything. Um, I suppose, it, it, it's difficult not to sound like an old fart. Ian, we've been doing this a long time, I and mean, I've had bits and bobs off you for ages. And, and, and I'll be absolutely clear, Ian, as people know, uh, works on my, has done stuff to my M2 competition. He's done stuff to lots of my cars over the years. And, um, and you, some of it- You've never asked for it for free. You've never said to me, I want it for free and I want money, or it, we'd happily, mates rates do you a deal on something because we but is that, many am, I a mug, am i a mug for, for not doing that i mean i've got to ask all questions well, should, should, am i a mug you know i've got a reasonable audience should i be charging you money well, my view no, is okay. i shouldn't no you shouldn't and and we've had so for example we had you know um sam from scene through glass yeah he contacted us i don't know a year 18 months ago said could we do some tuning on his carerity at no point did he ask me to do something for free for him the, the commodity he was selling was his video. So he asked, would we mind if, if he did a video while he's with us? Well, that's, that's the value for him. So he came along, he paid his money for the exhaust system and the remap. Um, I think maybe we gave him the, the dyno run for free or something like that. It was, it was it's nothing really. And, and then he did a video because that's, that's what he earns his money off. And that works perfectly. Last week we had um, Gordon Shedden ask us to tune one of his BMWs for a company he works for. At no point did he leverage the fact that he's a touring car driver and he's this, that, and the other, and he wants stuff for free. Um, so when when a, an influencer contacts you and says, can I have some product for our project car? We'll naturally look to help them out if we can, but it was a bit much when they asked for a lump sum and future sales. We don't know how much money they think is in Toyota suspension. I mean, <laughs> That's the other thing. That's it's the other thing. Let's, let, let, let's be let's be honest here. How many Yaris GRs will they sell in the UK? A thousand maximum, maybe seven hundred at best. How yeah. what percentage of those are going to be tuned? Probably less than twenty percent. So what what's the total sum you might make profit on some Yaris GR suspension? It's probably not twenty five grand, is it? Let's face <laughs> it. No. So so what so what so the offer to you is you can make a loss on your total Yaris GR suspension development program to be associated with us. It's not that attractive, is it? Well, yeah, well, when you put them into context of the, the other people we deal with over the years, you know, I'm sure it's, they're doing very well, but it's not quite the same. And no, none of the other people that have any kind of uh, coverage have ever asked us for free things. You know? No, I find it yeah, funny. Well, Ian, no. when we, we spoke a week ago, and I think you, well, I was said, could I come and have a drive in one of the cars at s some point? And you said, well, you, well not at the moment, because they're all out with the press. Now, the press don't charge you 
you know, Harry's Garage doesn't charge you to go and do a load of views no. on his channel. It's it, it's kind of it's dumb. Which which I, the, 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 that's the other thing, and, and I've been talking about it a lot recently. And Chris and I have touched on it that there's so many people now on on all these different mediums, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, etc., that are talking about the products. But by the time the third, fourth, fifth person down the road's done another video on a Litchfield Yaris. Oh, it all gets a bit boring. It's a bit over. You only need one guy or maybe two to do a great video on a Yaris, and it's kind of done. Let, let everyone get on and start enjoying their cars. Yeah, I think it's, you know, if you'd imagine, we've been lucky enough to do things like keep, uh, Evo Car of the Year or Auto Car, Driver's Car of the Year over the years. And if Evo Magazine rang me up and said, we really enjoyed your Subaru back in 2005, would you like to come on Car of the Year? And Oh, but by the way, it's going to cost you 25,000 quid. And if you sell any future Subarus, we want a kickback. I mean, you'd never take it seriously. Do you mean it's crazy? So why should this media format be any different? That's the, that's the bit that's bizarre to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, so I, 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 can, I can see the brazenness. I think there's another aspect to it that I want to be clear about as well, that, that the approach here, and I've, I've spoken to Ian about this, the approach here was very much a, we're trying to work out who to partner with. Now that's 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 a tricky area for me because that that's not someone saying we want the best kit. We think the Litchfield kit's the best. We want to buy it and stick it on a car. What they're saying is, we're going to put on this car whatever yields us the best return and the best money. So as an end user, when you're watching the review of that kit on that Yaris, you're not. It's just not real. That's not someone saying I think this is the best. It should have a sticker saying this is the kit that we think yields the most for a YouTube channel about a Yaris GR product. Not when have you ever seen it. them? They're supposed to put um, this contains commercial advertising, aren't they, on the YouTube video? I, when was the last time you ever saw a YouTuber put contains commercial material or paid no. for advertising? It just doesn't happen. Well, let's, so go, let's go back to the so let's go back to the history of the blag. So I started doing this sort of mid to late nineties, and it was called the blag back then. Uh, and uh, and again, I'm, I'm I'm happy to open myself to all sorts of criticism on all the usual forums and comment sections, but because I do think it was different to what's happening now, and these these are the reasons why. Um, first of all, the blag was really about you know phoning people up and trying to get bits and bobs for your car. Quite often, it was a long-term test car for a magazine, or it was a car that you had yourself that you wrote about in the magazine. So, if you had a an E36 BMW that had done 100,000 miles, you might phone up Michelin and try and get some tires, and they might give you four tires, and you might say they were great, and that's as far as it went. Um, uh, but you you tend to be very honest about the reviews of it. You know, if someone gave you, I remember someone giving me some free Dunlops and they were shite. And I just said they were shite. And the Dunlop people phoned me up and said, but we gave you some free tires. And I said, but they were shite. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and they obviously they never gave me any more free tires. Um, but that's as far as it went. Obviously, a lot of people are conflating advertising within a magazine and, and someone taking, asking for money to, to be involved in a project like this. It, it never it never happened like that in that world. Again, I'm open I'm opening myself up here to some criticism, also I'm questioning the actions. Should we have been charging these people? When I did, trying to think back to something I did, I remember doing something with um, PI. I think they were a, a data a data acquisition motorsport business. You know, they they ran dashboards and data systems for, for race cars. And we stuck one on a Lotus Six E. Should I have said to them, well, thanks for putting it in the car, but I want twenty thousand pounds for you being there. I suppose looking back. I never asked because I thought it was wrong, because I just thought the, the 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 reciprocity of the industry was comfortable in you being given something to review and giving it exposure and you enjoying it, and then and and them actually benefiting benefiting from it. None of them had businesses that were making enough money to be able to spend that money with you. Of course they weren't, but maybe I should have been asking for twenty five grand. Maybe that's where I went wrong. It would seem, with with what happened yesterday, that a lot of people don't think that's what should have been happening. So the blag went on for ages and ages and ages. And sometimes people overstepped the mark and it was always a bit funny because certain journalists were always quite closely aligned with certain products. But there was never any big cash sums, um, I think, uh, exchanging uh, hands. And I, and I also, I think there was advocacy. I think I don't think people were saying stuff was good because it got them some money. I think there's, there was an honesty about it. There always was. Um, I, of course, it wasn't, you know, fault free but it but it, it was honest um whereas this uh, this 
this business is is so out of it's out of shape really I can't, does it make me angry no not really because as i said the car world's not that serious but i think it's a shame um when people do this and i and i agree with i agree with something we discussed before we came on the recording if you want to go to a car maker a big car maker that makes you know turns over billions of euros a year and get yourself a chunk of cash for for being a shrill for their product fine that's absolutely fine it seems that all these people do that anyway i mean i, I can't do that because i I want to be independent and I want to have a voice and you can't have an independent voice if you're taking money from any car manufacturer. But, uh, but I think, I think that that there seems to be, there is a line that if you're going to go to a car company and get paid a shed load of money to compromise yourself, that's fine. You know, you've got to look yourself in the mirror. If you can do that and take the money, I don't, I don't care at all. That's, that's who you are and, and be comfortable with it. But to go to small independent businesses that are quite clearly not going to be making an awful lot of money out of developing a suspension system for a car that not many people are going to buy, let alone tune. I think you're taking the piss, is my honest answer. Um, yeah, and maybe, I, you know, and I maybe, think the uh, we, you know, when you have a business like Ian's, you're a friend of the car community, you're a fellow petrol head, that we're and we're all on the same level, and it's about sharing the love if it's something you truly believe in, and, and I think that that's that's where, where it should stay that relationship it's a it's a strange world the influencer space because in many ways people of our age are dinosaurs we don't understand the way it works uh, and i trip over the whole time i bought some headphones about a year ago i went to the bristol when we could still move around because i quite like my hi-fi i went to the bristol hi-fi show now that if you want to see people with wearing interesting clothes go there <laughs> they make they make licho look like bloody giorgio armani and uh <laughs> So I've gone in there and I bought some headphones and one of those fancy high-res players, uh, music players, with my with my eldest son because we quite like listening to music. And I thought, well, let's try. I've never had a headphone setup, and these headphones are made by a company called Focal, which is the parent company that that's part of a I think a larger venture fund that bought Name Audio, and I love Name Hi-Fi, um, all of which I've paid for, um, and the Focals I bought you know over the counter during the summer lockdown. I took a photo of myself with my Focal headphones, largely because I was bored. I gave one else what was and put it up. And everyone assumed that I'd been paid to take this photograph. I was like, well, you've got to put a sponsored content. I mean, you realise that you're going mad when you think, should I post the invoice to show people how much I actually paid for these things? Because everyone, no one could believe that you would be an advocate for a product that you'd bought, that surely... When, when you're on Instagram, you only put photos of stuff that you've been told to put up there because you've been paid for it. It's it's almost reverse engineered now that people are people are shocked that you'd say something nice about something you weren't paid to say. I think that's the problem, isn't it? Is that when when are people going to? Uh, we had a review come out by uh, Alex Goy today in GQ magazine, and he had to post up that he hadn't been paid for this. It was a genuine review because this is that's where it ends up descending is that people don't believe anything they read anymore. So ultimately, it ends up ruining what you're trying to do in the first place. Strange. Right. Now, we should we should get on with right. Let's go to By the way, if you live in Gloucestershire and you need an MOT, by the look of it, Ian can uh, help we've got, you. We've got, got it covered. Yeah. MOT <laughs> test centre. <laughs> well, he's got yeah. he's got a. Um, get rid of that he's got a he's got a bit of an empire in but let's go back to the start so ian born and bred thornbury i love the fact he went to thornbury that's spelled f-o-r-n dash b-u-r-y thornbury um yeah. castle school so you managed to so you managed to escape castle school did, yeah i did did you i didn't realize until recently that dan prosser went to castle dan school prosser well, went to like... dan prosser of drive nation and uh piston heads and a good pal of mine he escaped uh, castles, well, but, of us, both of us. but it was actually it was a very good school back then wasn't it, it? it was a, it is a very good school as far as i'm aware it's, it's still a very good school so yes that was where it, uh, i was most we moved to hingham in norfolk for a few years when i was younger near uh, near lotus and then came back for secondary school back to thornbury so when did the car thing start for you i've always loved cars always it's the only thing i was interested in when i was younger uh, that and sport, but mainly cars. Um, and yeah, and then the business started because we, I did a, I had to do a business A-level course and um, had to pick a subject that I was interested in. So I, I looked at the car industry 
and I'd read a, a magazine article in Performance Car Magazines about the Monster Miata where they used to take a V8 engine, put it in an MX-5, and they gave a price for it all. So uh, I think it was John Barker wrote the article actually, and, and um, yeah, it started from there. So I did a business study course on importing a cheaper car from the US and selling it for more money in, in the UK. And we had to present the findings or the, the, the finished result to a bank manager. And then the bank manager would then say whether they would lend you the money for the, for the idea. And I, they said they would, and it was, it was a good idea. So I went back the next week and said, could we borrow the money? And they just laughed and said, <laughs> not a chance. So yeah, that was it really. So then it's that, that I was sort of mortified and then sort of explaining it to my dad, um, who my mum and dad have absolutely no interest in cars. One's a nurse and the other worked for a concrete company. And um, but he said, Well, go back and see if you can get it as a car loan to borrow against, you know, I was 17, 18. So um with my dad in tow, we went back and said, Can we borrow a little bit of money to buy a car? And uh I went and bought an MX-5 from the US, from America, and it was a disaster, but learned, learned a lot from it, and that's what started it all. So were you selling cars or tuning cars first? You were selling cars first, selling. weren't you? Selling, yeah. yeah. So I first came across first. you, I first came across, I remember you first came across my radar almost, almost the same time I started doing these jobs at 98, 97, 98, 99, mm-hmm. around then, I can't remember. Autocar did an article about you know, the future generation or something. And, and, and you were chosen as this, and this is a special article about you, this, this, this guy from Cheltenham, who you must've been, how old were you? 20 years old or something, 21 or Probably something? about 19, 20, yeah. And, and, you, and you were, was it you'd sold a Ferrari? I you'd sold something, something big. Was it Italian? I can't remember what it was. We sold a, three, a Ferrari three, I don't even know how they got in contact. I think we used to advertise in the back of auto. Did you? And then they, they sort of saw the story from there, but, um, yeah, we, we would import cars first and foremost, um, and we, particularly Subarus, we were doing well with Subarus, and then we would do a lot of other cars. Um, and then I would tune my own cars or get my cars tuned, um, and then customers would naturally ask if we could do the same to theirs, and it sort of snowballed, really, and it sort of dovetailed nicely between, between the two. But I remember you came and test drove our white Spec C, I think it was 2002, 2003. Yeah, there was you a Spec C, and then the yeah. one that... The one that changed it all was I, I had a, because when I was the obviously preeminent idiot influencer and decided to try and make a name for myself by getting, my, by get, getting over my head and financial difficulties with a Lamborghini Gallardo, <laughs> we did a story where Licho had done this thing called a Type 25, which I thought was brave. So basically he'd rebranded an, an existing road car, which looking back, would have landed you in a load of legal trouble now, but back then you got away with oh, it. Oh, no, we had it back then as well. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. Super UK for a long time were not our friends. But we no. can get on very well now. <laughs> but uh, so they had, uh, you know, it was Cosworth-tuned engine and it was a, a mega bit of kit. And I and I think I, I said to him, I've driven it. I reckon it's probably better cross-country than my bloody Lamborghini that costs 10 times as much. So we went up to the... Crickhowell Road on the moors, drove them back to back, and I don't I, I know what I wrote, but I think I probably wrote, yeah, I love this Lamborghini, but if you wanted to actually go fast over a B road or an A road, you'd probably take this this Subaru. And uh, and it, that seemed to me to be the changing point, really. At that point, you, your name became synonymous with very high-quality suspension, engine work, and also you became a household name in the magazine. You were the one tuner that consistently managed to get the trust of the magazines. We were always quite wary of tuner cars in magazines because for two reasons. One, it's, it's a lot of money to put together one of those big shoots, those group tests. And if a tuner turns up and the car shits itself, it wrecks everything. And normally, it's, you know, if you're on a track, it fires oil everywhere and bits of crankcase. You're there going, oh, this has wrecked it. And the other one is you've got to be very careful. Who you know, if you, if you advocate something as being really good and the readers go to them and actually they turn up and there's just seven Alsatians chained to a fence and a load of people looking to steal money from them. That's not a good look for them. You know, be careful. And you never presented as being like that. Although, you know, there were a few Alsatians. It's not, <laughs> not fine. Um, so, but you but you started going, you, you were always on Evo Car of the Year. And back then, of course, getting getting onto Evo Car of the Year was the Willy, Willy Wonka ticket, wasn't it? In terms of oh, publicity. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I think we were, I mean, we were very lucky that we were dealing with uh, a very good product to begin with that wasn't available here. So 
90% of the work was done by the fact that we were bringing over a, a Japanese spec car that was already much better than the UK equivalent. So we were then really just rounding off the edges and, and titivating it basically, not doing anything drastic until we did the Type 25. And so it, it did extremely well on its own merits to begin with. So we did, uh, we had a red spec C in Evo car the year that won the first sort of round and then it got taken, we got taken over to Italy to, to go up against supercars and things. So um, it was an amazing time. And yeah, if you, if you were on an Evo car the year, you were guaranteed to sell quite a few cars afterwards. How many Type 25s did you make? We did uh, 35 of the first uh, version and about 18, 19 of the second version. So you have one me, that was huge quantity. Pardon? I've still got, I've got a, yeah, I've got, I've got one here that I've kept. I've got a spruce up and I've got a spec C that I, I bought back a few years ago that I'll keep, which is amazing. So yeah, we'll definitely keep that. Were you really Licho a Subaru man when you knew at heart that the Evo Mitsubishi was better? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I love them both. I don't know why it was about the Subaru. It was, I just, the Subaru, we, we, we did, we sold, um, we sold Mitsubishi UK their first Evos when they were waiting for some to come over. So we've always had Evos. It's just that we'd sell a lot more Subarus. It was um, slightly more practical on a daily basis. It wasn't quite so manic. Um, yeah, I loved them. But no, the, the Evos were superb as well. I love that era. It was, you know, there was always, it seemed like every week there was a new version of either the Subaru or the Evo and the weekly car magazines would have them on the covers and you and the, there'd be stupid group tests and, and comparison tests, which if you weren't really into it, you must have picked the magazine up and thought it was Groundhog Day. Well, didn't they do that last week? No, no, but that's got that's got a lightweight wheel on it. So that 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 demands an entirely different road test, that does. Yes, yes. And and uh, and I just it was they were great times and, and looking back, they were so such partisan opinions as well. Then if you if you wore a Mitsubishi jacket and you and you know and you went anywhere near Banbury, you'd have people lobbing dog turds at you because the <laughs> Pro Drive people it was I loved it. It was great. You were either, you know, you were either Burnsy or you were or McRae, or you know, or, or Tommy Max, sorry, or McRae. It was, they were great times. But moving on from that, the Subaru thing, what you've always done consistently, without wanting to blow smoke up your ass, because you're quite a modest man, you've always got your eye on the next thing. So I remember talking to you in 0304 and you saying, yeah, this Subaru thing is, is clearly going to die at some point because they're, they're less and less interested in the World Rally Championship. You can tell that. And they're not you know the car doesn't really get developed much it's kind of staying the same um and and you said we need to look for the next thing and sure enough even though you carried on with uh, what is still actually quite a good look i don't know the numbers is it an s11 s12 the very the really the hatchback five door mm -hmm. impressor which is quite a, quite a good looking car the one that you ripped the bumper off when we were doing that promotional shoot remember that one <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was uh there was a good car. It needed quite a bit more work than the earlier ones. But uh, in and around that same time is when Nissan released the um with GTR and then things really went fast. And that was and that's 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 when uh that's when you, you, you realise that some people are very serious about trying to establish themselves as being the preeminent person in the space. So I got a phone call from Licho that this uh this is two thousand and seven. And uh, end of 2007, he phones me and goes, I've got, I've got one of the first GTR R35s coming over from Japan. And uh, we're going to work on it. And if you remember back then, the R35 was, was special for a multitude of reasons. Its performance, its layout, the fact that it had this twin turbo engine with the DSG gearbox, which until then really only the Veyron had had that, that technology with that level of performance. Um, but the big thing was you can't tune it. The message from... From, from Nissan was you will not be able to crack the ECU. The car can tell whether you're on a track or not. All this stuff was banded around. And uh, so Ian said, I'm bringing one over, which we're going to work on. But before we work on it, do you want to have a go in it? And, uh, and so we, I got this chance to drive this car. This, this refers back to what we discussed at the beginning of, the, um, of, the, of this podcast. So he's phoned me and said, do you want it? And, and I knew that he would give it to other people because he had a good relationship with Richard Mead and then Jethro Bobbingdon from from uh from evo magazine but i knew i had a weekly outlet so i was going to get to it first because i could get it to print first 
And it was a massive opportunity for me. It was Ian saying, he's not saying it, but tacitly he's saying, if you have this car off me, I know that you can do a twin test with probably a Porsche or a Ferrari. You can sell it. I think myself and James Lippman sold back 15, 20 times around the world, that story. That's the way it used to work back then. You you went out, you, you invested some time and your own money into a photo shoot, and then you sold it around the world to people as content to different magazines. And so Licho gave me his car, and myself and Lippman made me a load of money. But he didn't ask me for a kickback, and he didn't ask me whether I'd give him 20 grand for the day to rent the car. Looking back, Licho, you missed a touch there, mate. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember taking it around um, Bedford? And then with your M3, and then Aston Martin were there and wanted to have a go in the car. Yeah. Um, they were the second people to buy a car off us um, <laughs> after that. Literally the next day, they rang us up and said, we've got another one. We want it. So this, this is an untuned car at this stage? Totally standard car, yeah, totally. And it just was on a different planet back in late 2007, 2008 to anything that had gone before it. Um, and so, yeah, when Aston drove the car, because they were testing, I think they were about to release the V12 Vantage, and they were doing some shakedown stuff at Bedford, and they just happened to be there. And um, they had a go in it, and the chief engineer turned to the other uh, driver, said, you need to have a drive with this Nissan, and they were quite dismissive. And he said, no, you have to go and drive this car. And the guy said, okay, well, I'll just do, I'll just do two laps. And he, he must have done about 15, 20 laps. And like I say, the very next day, they rang up and bought one to, to have a look at. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It was, um, yeah, the R35 was was amazing. And it's been the, the foundations for, for the really successful business you've got now. But let me rewind one minute. Evo Car of the Year. You were involved in a fantastic story on Evo Car of the Year. Um, I love this. I'm going to allow you to tell it um, because it's just so good. Uh, yeah, I presume you're meant. You're talking about crashing a noble. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, it is. It still <laughs> remains probably the single most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. And having to go, having to go and explain to Harry, we're in Italy, that uh, we just crashed the noble trying to avoid an oncoming truck. Um, and we sort of totaled it down one side, and then for the rest of the shoot, they're having to take photographs from just one angle. So, but it was one of those things. I can't remember. I must have been like 22, 23, maybe even less than that. And we were driving the most incredible cars up and down these mountain roads without even thinking really what we were doing, just thinking how lucky we were to be driving these cars. And then that happened, and then instantly you kind of grow up and think. <gasps> What if I'd done it in the Speciale, whatever the, whatever the car was, it's the, the Ferrari, whatever the Special Edition was at the time, or the GT3 that had just come out, or the, and uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good look. The big no-no back in the day during those tests was was having someone from another car company crash someone else's car. <laughs> they were they were very tricky. They were very tricky events to manage. And and I tell you what, the Noble connection is quite ironic because. A couple of years after that, someone from Noble got in a Ford GT and wrote it off at Rockingham when I was there. So I suppose <laughs> what goes around comes around. But it was, you, to, to try and manage those days was impossible because you, you, you invited everyone along with their cars, but they would often send quite senior chassis and powertrain engineers because they knew that was their chance to get into rival products that they knew wasn't bent or doctored and, in a, and they could also have a controlled environment. 
So there was always a battle for the keys. And it was a bit of a nightmare because it was, it was a real worry because you didn't quite know how good a drivers they were. I mean, you assumed they were good, but they weren't always. And you can always guarantee the law of Murphy would insert itself. My favourite one was being at Goodwood for some autocar event. And in those days, TBR were the ones and they just bought out the Tamora. And the, the, you know, the cars were underdeveloped, but fascinating and fast. Peter Wheeler obviously had a thing against any other British sports car maker. So when his Tamora blew up by the side of the track, properly blew up, as in bits of engine and smoke everywhere. And it turned out that the, the, the two people driving in the car were from Lotus. Um, he just went absolutely mental, understandably. And it always seemed to go that way. But yeah, the, the ultimate extension of that was the guy from Noble crashing the Ford GT and me having to go over to the bloke in the Ford truck who almost, I thought he was going to punch me. And he said, who was driving it? And I just went, I don't know. How can you not know? I said, well, I wasn't, I was a freelancer, but I wasn't controlling the people driving the cars. And, we, and no one knew who, who was driving it. And then someone said, oh, it was, I won't say his name. It was uh, from Noble. And the bloke from Ford just went, I think he said, you're a fucking disgrace. And just loaded what was left <laughs> of the car up onto the, trans- onto the truck and left. It was just, it was a bag of bits. It was terrible. Um, yeah. So I know how you <laughs> felt, but I love I love the idea that the that that it you it wasn't like you were Walter Rawl on, on from Porsche. You were basically you and your mate Curtis from Cheltenham with your tuned Subaru, <laughs> and you just fired a noble into a ditch. It, it was it was yeah. It, we were we were young and driving way too fast for our ability. And as we came round this like hairpin bend, there was just a lorry parked in the middle of the road. And Curtis had one of two options. It was either head on with the lorry or try and go down a ditch. And uh, he went with the ditch and it just, it totaled the side of that, uh, of that noble for the rest of the shoot. Cause it was quite early on as well. What did Harry, Harry say? Harry, Harry uh, can be quite rental, but he can also be very good. What did he say? Uh, he was furious. <laughs> he was furious. It was no parental. I think it was, he was both angry with us and angry in the whole situation that it even, how did this happen? How, how are we whizzing around in these expensive cars? Because obviously they had, they'd have teams of photographers out photographing the slow stuff. Journalists would be out testing it and then there'd be cars available to drive effectively. So you jump in it and, and whiz up up and down a mountain road, and uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a good look. So fast forward R thirty five, this uncrackable ECU. How long did it take to crack it? Uh, about half an hour, I think. <laughs> the boys at Equitech in Uxbridge were pretty quick on it. Yeah, very quick. Um, but the car, uh, it was the it was the dream ticket for you, wasn't it? Because you had the what you need. It seems to me in your world is you need a car that's fundamentally strong and clever technically but it's got but leaves you enough problems to solve that are worth solving and also enough window to take it to new performance areas and the r35 had all that didn't it it was massive i think from a business point of view it was it was superb it came right at the point of the recession as well so we were very fortunate with it where you had um a lot of uh, company owners that would normally have portions of ferraris couldn't be seen to be buying a new one so they effectively looked like they were downgrading to a, to a Nissan. You had the Subaru Evo guys that were progressing up to the GTR. And obviously the reviews were fantastic. So it was, it was held in a perfect storm during a you know, really bad time. So where our Subaru business effectively died out overnight, luckily we were still very busy with GTR. So from a business point of view, that, that worked well. Um, they were particularly awkward to deal with in terms of dealers for servicing and things, very expensive. So that gave us a window in to looking after the cars, which went well. Um, but from a tuning point of view, it, it was, they designed the car for considerably more power and then turned it right back. So for us, it just opened up a massive potential for performance. And, and it was like nothing else we'd seen, like you say, outside of a Veyron or something like that. And even then, you know, a, a, a half decent tuned GTR would show the heels to a, to a Veyron as it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous statement. They, they were, when, when they first arrived, they were exceptionally good value, weren't they? And they were like forty-five grand or something. And then Nissan bought on to how cheap they were and whacked the price up to like sixty-seven grand overnight. They were, yeah. We were bringing them in at sort of just under fifty, and then they came in at fifty-two nine hundred for the first year, and then they they quickly went up, which I, I think 
I'm not sure it was their plan, but it's helped keep the values. The values of the GTR have remained exceptionally strong. So a good one now is still going to set you back 30, 35,000. So it's yeah. an appreciation curve over this considerable time. It's, it's not a bad buy. I remember that time I was running the Ferrari, the old Ferrari dealership then, and we were buying and selling like so many GTRs and R8s, but, and probably because exactly what you said, people didn't want to be seen buying the latest Ferrari and you know, a, a GTR would come in, another one would go out. We, we would, well, I, I think I must've sold a hundred cars. <laughs> they're good business. They've always been good business. And because they're, yeah. they're so stable in the used market, it made it very easy to sell because it was a, was a known quantity for both the buyer and the seller, and it made it very easy to deal with. But this this also refers back to what we're talking about with the Yaris GR suspension. How much of what you've developed on the on the GTR, and, and for those that don't know, go and have a look at Ian's website. The, the developed work he's done on the car is so far beyond anyone else really in Europe, and also probably within the factory. I mean, I've, you know, I've met people at Nissan and at Nismo who, so when you say the word Litchfield, their eyes sort of roll as if to say, "God, he that bloke's just obsessed." Um, because he's done so much. But how much of it is commercial? How much of it is you just not being able to leave alone? Because you just can't, you can't leave it alone, can you? That's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's a lot of stuff we've developed that we just don't need, need to do. We've spent the last eight, six weeks working on a GTR engine on the engine dyno, basically repeating what we already know. Just because we've got a new engine dyno, it's working and we can test all these things again. So, um, but that's half the fun, you know, developing an engine or a billet block or a, we're quite lucky in the UK that we've got some unbelievable engineering companies here. So it's fascinating to work with those top people and where they would normally be doing projects for manufacturers and they, they do their small elements of it and then never see it again. With someone like ourselves, when we work with them, they can see the end product. They can see the results they're getting from or we're getting from it. So it, it, that works really well. And we've always been lucky that we're not tied to any we're not tied to any manufacturer so we can we can just cherry pick the best cars so we get to work with Yaris if we want to um you know we get to work with some of the BMW products Porsche products this Nissan products because we want to not because we have to and that's always worked well and then we you know naturally have like-minded customers that like the same thing the uh, so yeah a couple of things on that one Working with these bigger suppliers or, or these more professional engineering companies does bring a risk, though, because, you know, y your premises is so much bigger than it, you know, used to be. And you must look around and think, how did this happen? Which, it, you know, fair play, boss. Um, but then I, I, I was in the in the in the um, parts department at one point with you, and you had a delivery of Alcon brakes or something or exhaust headers or something, and I thought. Jesus Christ, you're having to buy a lot of these things to justify working with these big partners. You must, at some point a while ago, you must have gone, this has got very grown up, having to write very big checks to get this stuff made. It is, and it's it's both uh, an issue and, and a benefit because, you know, for Alcon, for example, very good at what they do, breaks, um, but they have huge lead times. And nobody comes into us necessarily wanting breaks. They come in for service, they might need breaks. So we can't wait eight weeks, 12 weeks for them to make some breaks you have to have rolling stock orders which becomes expensive to make sure you've got everything you need at that point and then you have big projects we work with like Bilstein on our GTR suspension well, the first time we did it with them we had to pay some money for the development work and we had to buy 50 sets of dampers and suspension well that was a way more than the cost of a Nissan GTR on the basis that people would buy it luckily we've we've sold quite a few since um, but yeah you have to kind of speculate to accumulate a bit and did they want a 25 grand bung on top of that <laughs> no they just want it's too simple business but when you're dealing with a company of that size and we're the size that we are they you know as much goodwill as they have towards us you still have to put in what to us is a sizable order to them it's it's next to nothing um and they actually had to okay it with nissan to allow them to sell us the dampers and luckily nissan uh, liked what we were doing and said that was okay. So you know, without Nissan giving the go-ahead, we never would have, we never would have had it. So the Nissan thing has been the basis of the business. If you go to Ian's premises, I'm there too often. Um, then there's always about 35 or 40 GTRs outside. It's bizarre. You, you you will never see so many in one place unless you're at a sort of specialist owners meeting. I would have thought. Uh, but you've you start you're starting to branch out now. You know, it's the, the R the R35 GTR can't be around much longer. It's become a very expensive rare car 
um, and they're getting older and, you know, inevitably people will probably spend a bit less on them. Although it's still incredibly busy, isn't it? That, that That's not your five, ten year plan now. It can't be, can it? So you've got, you got into BMWs. Because I went up there one day and I always assumed you were Mr. Japanese. So when there was an M2 there, I was like, what, what are you doing with that? You went, oh, we're having a play one of these. You wouldn't believe how much power we can get one of these. Sure enough, most literally got his paws on a on an M2. Um, he got some amazing results. And you're, you're flying with those things, aren't you? Yeah, we, we do a lot of BMWs. We, we, we got the, when, it, when we knew they were being turbocharged, we'd had, a, I've had most of the M3s before. Um, and then when we knew they were going turbocharged with the M4, we, we bought an M4 in 2014, really did all our development work on that. That naturally flowed into the M2. And we do huge amounts of them. We do at least one or two a day um, of those. And they're just brilliant cars. They're just such good value. So much fun. Larry, fun cars. You know, they're, they're great. So, and strong. Yeah, exceptionally, yeah. Probably the most reliable engine we've, we've worked with. They have a problem with a crank hub, which is easy to fix. And then after that, they're, they're bomb-proof, literally bomb-proof. Even DCT gearbox can handle the silly power you get from them? Yeah, they're fine. We've never had one problem with DCT, but I think it's almost exactly the same DCT that's in the M5. So that's running considerable power from the factory. I think that just the German stuff is well-engineered. You see that with Porsche as well. It's, 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 it's done properly. Um, and your next thing, so you're always speculating looking around. So the other day, well, so probably last year, I was up at your place and you had a McLaren there, 720S, and I thought, Oh, here we go. What's he up to now? So you've had a play with one of those, and the power figures you've got from it are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, 720 makes monster power. We did one the other week. It was 880 with an exhaust and a remap. <laughs> um, just nuts. Undrivable. Undrivably quick through the rear wheels. We've got a, we had a 720, but I realised that that market probably wasn't the main market for us. So we then we sold that after we did the development work and then moved down to the 570 so we've done quite a lot of work on the 570 so see so that's how I drive that now that's got um, a mechanical diff in the back and some suspension work some more power it's it's really good really really good and that's and so yeah I can so I can see the strategy there so that's a car that looks amazing value so if you buy if you can if you can rob one cheap go and spend 20 grand with you on some bits and bobs you've got an absolute weapon haven't you yeah it's a, I think the, the philosophy has always been about following our customers so we have good customers and they might have a gtr move on to mclaren or porsche and we want to make sure that we're still catering for that customer rather than sort of blindly following just a particular brand um, and it's worked quite well so far and plus we get to drive amazing cars none of them are bad cars to begin with they're amazing we just have to to work around the edges of them what um so what does the future bring i've um it's interesting there's a lot of talk on forums that the later M2 CSs, I mean, you do very well with comps, um, but the later um, CSs from sort of after June build have a different Bosch ECU that's more difficult to crack. Um, so maybe the tunability of those cars is going to be difficult. Let's face it, we're coming to the end of the internal combustion engine, and it's not inconceivable that some politician will turn around and say, well, this, why should you be able to tune a car and make it emit a bit more of this and that than they say from the factory what happens to you guys then how do you go how do you get around that well we i mean we it's tricky to get around it um we've constantly working on diversifying the business so we're not entirely reliant on it um but yeah i mean the, the, the latest boss ecus currently can't be tuned but we're pretty confident in the next uh weeks and, and months that we'll have something to offer um i think if those companies decide to lock things down they can do um, and, and stop people from getting in but there'll always be loopholes you know humans programmed it after all um, and uh, yeah and then, then we can have some fun fun with the cars but it'd be interesting to see what happens with the electric cars obviously they've still got suspension and tires and wheels yeah. and brakes and everything else that needs uh, tuning and if anything I prefer the suspension side than anything else but as of yet nobody's really tuning electric cars um, it's so going to happen, isn't it? There's going to be yeah, someone with a very so. big forehead wearing a white coat that's going to get yeah. 2,000 horsepower from a Tesla Model 3. It must be there. It will be interesting to see what they can do with it. I really do. Because you, I, wonder how much, I wonder how much capacity is left in these electric cars, you know, because they don't fully understand them. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they could do an awful lot more than they're kind of letting on at the minute. 
I think also the talk back, the, the, the big, when I first drove the Taycan Turbo S, it, it was the talk vectoring, talking to the chassis engineer that was most fascinating. He said, look, I've spent two years trying to calibrate this and I and I haven't I haven't got exactly where I want to get to, but we're putting it to market because we're happy with it. It meets sort of Porsche standards. He said, but I could do this for another five years. Mm. The infinite possibilities available and what, we, what we're learning means that it's just going to get better week by week. So there's going to be a lot of fun there. Yeah, is, this, I, I the we, is the Tesla Roadster still coming? Not till yeah, 2022 so. at the moment, they 20, say. I, I, I saw again that video the other day of when they originally launched it, launching itself out the back. It's just unreal. Well, we, we got to Tesla when they very first came to the UK. So we wanted to make sure we had one of the first cars to see what we could do with it. And I went around the factory. Uh, again, one of the uh, Aston Martin engineers we met back with GTR have now worked at Tesla, so we invited us around the factory when we were in the US. That was interesting. But what became apparent very quickly um, was that it's going to be like an iPhone, where right? it just obsoletes itself so fast that by the time you spent any money with, you know, researching and, and developing something, they just moved on to something faster. So yeah. then it was the four-wheel drive Tesla, then it was the ludicrous mode, then it was ludicrous mode plus. You can't compete or, or, or try to get involved in that market. And then we had a, um, uh, a Taycan for six months uh, last year. And it's unbelievable how good that car is. But you know the next one is going to be not just a slight improvement, it's going to be a big jump forward. So it's, it's, it's something we'd rather just sit back and watch maybe for this next generation of cars and see, see what happens. Because I think if you get too involved, you'll, you'll, you'll get bogged down by it all. And I've moved on. I love you. I just, I do find it really heartwarming to see how much people like you love the challenge of it. When I was there by chance, when when he, uh, Ian bought his first Yaris back before Christmas, and um, all the boys, it was the end of the day, it was gone half five, they could have all gone home, and there was 20 lads in a workshop, uh, and Ian drove in, and, and they were literally pulling it apart. They were like rats over this thing. <laughs> Pulling it apart, poking it. Oh, look at that intake there. That's going to be hot. We can do something with that. How hot's the air going in there? Everyone was poking around it with this kind of energy to to try and see what they could do to extract more performance from the basic package. And I, I looked at that and I thought, yeah, this is a commercial environment. Maybe this is what made me want to send that tweet yesterday. I just saw a load of people that are really into the subject that have poured a lot of time and effort into that car to make it a bit better or to you know to try and do something different with it. It's not going to make anyone rich. It really isn't. It's, you know, it isn't going to make anyone rich. You can make, you get rich in other areas, Lich, and you're not doing too badly, boss. I'll give well played. But that isn't going to make you rich. And the idea of, of someone saying, well, I'm going to let you do all this work, spend all this time, and invest all this love into this thing, but I want you to basically give me the sum total of what you might ever make from it to be associated with me is bollocks. And I don't care who you are, it's bollocks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but, okay. uh, but I... But I Dude, I think anyway, we'll, uh, you, you did say, obviously, um, that as an advert, you're obviously choosing which is the, in your commercial interest, which is the best uh, Yaris tuner. Who is the best Yaris tuner? Uh, for me, <laughs> uh, I'd definitely go, I personally would go with Licho, but that's because he has given me 10 grand to say that. I tell you now. No, no, stay stock, keep it stock. Yeah, Ian Litchfield has never given me. A penny. Occasionally, I get offered a cup of tea, but I watch him. <laughs> this is pre-COVID. I used to watch him kind of swill the mug with he his hand. He used an old tea bag. He used an old tea bag. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ! Where's that come from? Uh, no, it's uh, it's if, if you if you're into the subject, go and visit him near Tewkesbury because uh, it's amazing what he can do with your BMW. Certainly, the suspension kit on my uh, on my M2 Comp. You know, and I can say this because I, you know, if it was shit, I'd say it was shit. But my problem with the M2 is I love the car, but the ride is just too hard. I just don't understand modern road cars, why they have to be so busy and jiggly and they have to find cambers and just, but this, this kit just takes it all away, you know, just adds a load of, of, um, of refinement and, and it makes it lovely. And I've got an Akrapovic exhaust on there, which cause in is a dealer for Akrapovic and this, I've had a couple of bits and bobs that weren't very expensive off them, but this one I wrote a, ch I wrote a check for this. Didn't I? There's an invoice somewhere. I'm sure I paid some money for it. It's a mega exhaust. It's gorgeous. It's just when you've got the button open, 
it's probably too loud for someone of my age uh, and my ethnicity. It's not helpful to be making that level of noise. You look like a bit of a cock, if I'm honest with you. So I'd like an in-between button, Mr. Akavovich, if I can have one. But uh, no, he, he does some great work. And I, I'm happy to say that. And if he's if he's done something I thought was not very good, I'd say it as well. I've not come across it yet. But uh, well, I, don't think, I think we know, we, know, we know the subject well enough to know not to give you something. There's certain cars we've had recently as demo cars that we we've told you that you won't be getting or you can't have because they're no good. <laughs> yeah. I can think of, I can think of another like Toyota also, recently. Let's talk, and let's be honest about it. it doesn't always work for you. The Focus RS when it came out, I remember talking to you, you said, yeah, this is right up our street. This is they're gonna make loads of them, there's quite a lot you can do with it. it didn't work for you, did it? No, in fact we've actually stopped tuning them now. They're more trouble than they're worth. So we we've um, we've stopped doing it. And you have to you can't do everything so you have to pick your battles really and then choose what you want and you have to be interested in the car you know we're not some cars we're not as interested in so we're just not going to put the time and effort into developing stuff for it because it you quickly realize that the fundamentals aren't there and no matter how much you do to it it's still going to be hamstrung by the base car underneath you spoke about sam's carrera t i don't know whether he had, I he had the same full engine pack you've got on yours but i've driven ian's that's a worrying motor vehicle if you've got a, a, the 911 GT3 Touring like I have and you drive Licho's Carrera T you're minded never to tangle with one of the traffic lights ever again because his car's much faster than mine it's, it's a, a weapon car. it's a good car very good car yeah. is that the green uh, one Ian? yeah green it one. is yeah no, uh, okay well I th I th do you think we've just, I think we've I think we've we've done that I think we've exhausted the the, the influencer thing like I said I want to summarise got no beef with anyone personally i just think it was wrong i don't think it's in the spirit of of that side of the industry i don't think there's enough money floating around really to be to be um hardballing that kind of cash out of people I, like i've said if you want to go to a big oem big car maker and do yourself a deal to to be a shrill that's absolutely up to you make make your money and enjoy it um and also i i i respect people that stick their head above the parapet and go for something, and if it doesn't work, but if it doesn't work out, I think you have got to put your hands up and go, oh, I've got that bit wrong. I've yet to see that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, no one's no one's ever been castigated for having a go, but there's there's a brazenness about this one that was probably a bit tricky. So we've covered that off. I also think that we've covered off the, the Litro journey, which is amazing. And if you've got an, if you've got an M2 or an, or an M3 and M4, particularly the M2 though, it's just a great car. If you've got one of those, Go and have a go in, in something that Ian's played with because it is, um, let's just say, it releases another side of the car's personality. It's remarkable. Uh, but likewise, Porsche, McLaren, and um, and you know what? When, this is, when's, this the is when, when's the first new M4 coming your way in? Ah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I have to get into body kits, I think, for the new M4. <laughs> to do something. I, I've <laughs> got to say that they're, they're colour sensitive. Chris, you you were pretty uh, outspoken about this when they launched it, but I, it, I'm warming, I'm warming to it already. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm I'm I love being proved wrong. When I first saw it, I just thought, Jesus Christ, you know, that's a face a mother couldn't love. But BMW have a habit of of releasing stuff that's a bit shocking and over time you do mellow to it and a lot of bangle stuff uh, was like that although i think the bangle was a design movement that was cerebral and i think they had a lot of thinking behind it it was cleverer than this uh but you, you never know I, I don't think i'll ever grow to love it i think for me it's more of a problem is down the side of the car it doesn't you know there's a there's a sort of tension down the side of the f80 that is is one of the great looking fast saloon cars particularly the four-door i think Chris, um, you'll you'll like this. I I made an inquiry to buy an M4 um, this week, and I was told I, I can't buy it because I'm on the resellers list because I sold my Mini GP3. Which when I bought it, I said to the dealer, I don't want it, but if you want me to take it, I'll take it. So he was like, fine, take it. So I took now it. Now you're on the now you're on the, the other. Yeah, exactly. collecting cars, lost five hundred quid, so I sold it for under list. <laughs> and I'm still on the resellers list. <laughs> you've always been, you've always been a flipper, mate. You've always been a flipper. <laughs> what you need to do is, have you got any, have you got any family connections with BMW dealership? No. <laughs> no I'm, on a, I'm a flipper. I'm a flipper. <laughs> um, no, I think um, what I like is though. Yesterday, it all is all a bit noisy, um, and there was lot, you know. And I say for me, it's lighthearted joshing. No one's. You know, dying over this, it's, it's just not serious. But Licho 
got a lot more publicity yesterday in one day from that nonsense than he would have done paying 25 sovs to be involved in that. So ultimately, the little man, well, literally not little, look at the size of him, uh, but uh, <laughs> the little guy succeeded. Uh, and I think that was um, maybe a lesson we can all learn from it. But, uh, mate, great speech to you, Licho. I know you, you you've got to go and talk to someone else this afternoon, so you're going to have very sore vocal cords. I'll be up uh, uh, later in the week to um, do some bits and bobs. But, uh, Edward, great speech to you as well. Uh, Ian, uh, yeah, have a good 2021. I hope that things continue to go well. And um, hopefully we can be involved in more joshing and controversy uh, over the next 20 years. So, from collecting cars... Uh, and this unusual Zoom format. Uh, this is us checking out. Thanks a lot. Bye all. Collecting cars. The safe, smart and simple way to buy and sell collectible cars. An online auction platform for the UK and Europe. Follow us on Instagram at collectingcars and also collectingcars.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.